0: Well, the year is 2022 and only one thing remains a constant. City trends and the growth of technology. Yes, indeed. You're welcome to the show. It is such a pleasure to come your way once again. Well, turn up the volume because we're going to have quite a conversation today. My name is Philip Sean. You're welcome to City Trends. I said my name is Philippa Sean and you're welcome to the show. There is one main issue that is to be discussed on the show today and that is the technology conundrum behind SIM registration. There have been Well, one too many stories around the SIM registration exercise, um, long queues and whether the technology was right and everything else. Well, we are going to focus our conversation today on the technology and appropriateness of the technology if it could have been done much better. And that is going to be the thrust of the conversation this evening on the show. I have with me to to for this particular conversation, um Salon Brant here, um, who has been um writing rather copiously on this particular matter and also um has been researching and quite um been very vocal um about this particular matter and so we'll be having and sharing some thoughts with him. And like I said, our focus is At least for this show is on the technology um, behind um, the registration exercise, the cybersecurity questions um, that have come up over the period and possibly what are some of the best practices that we could have learned from or we can still learn from because obviously it is an ongoing Exercise. You can be a part of the show with your questions and your thoughts obviously on our WhatsApp number 0549-986-996. Alternatively, you can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag City Trends. And so without much ado, let's jump straight into it with Selom. Um and um Selom good evening, and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh
1: good evening, Philip. Um, good evening to all your listeners. Uh, I hope Black Stars win stuff. So-
0: well, it doesn't look like the black stars might win, but we'll leave that for. and we'll leave that for another day. This is a technology conversation. Um, yes, it, it has a lot to do with uh, mathematics and permutations, but we'll leave that for another day. Sal Salam is the vice president at a Money center for Policy and education, and um he's been very vocal about um, the SIM registration, but Salam, like I said, mind focus and the focus of the show is obviously trying to understand the technology um, side of the the debate or the discussion and so let's start from you know the very beginning i mean why was this sim registration necessary in the first place i mean considering the fact that you know we have been boasting year on year about the rising numbers of um, persons who have registered or who have access to mobile devices um, every year we have all these statistics about uh, people who have access to um, internet services we've been boasting year on year about the increasing numbers of people who are using various um, mobile money services etc cetera, etc cetera. why are we at this point where there's a need for us to do another registration if you could give us a basis or if you understand the basis
1: Well, um, basically, um, I think all across the world uh, we have all come to understand that uh, there is the need to register a SIM card uh, for every mobile subscriber as uh, a way of uniquely identifying the one who uh, is communicating or owning that uh, SIM uh, card. This is because it has become one of the most uh, unique basis of what we would call in the modern world a digital identity. And this digital identity is important because uh, this SIM card, first of all, is unique to every single user, one. And then two, it is the basis for which people can uh, access many different online services. Uh, that have now become mainstream in uh, with regards to uh, digital services, like even uh, joining websites, subscribing to online services, subscribing to certain national services. Um, and it is also a way to verify the identity of a human being uh, to ensure that the person is who they say they are. And uh, by virtue of that, a lot of legislation across the world has stipulated some form of minimal identification for the human being that owns that particular SIM card or the organizational institution that owns that particular SIM card for the purposes of being able to track and identify who is doing what uh, based on the number that they possess or their interaction with uh, whichever system they are interacting with. So it serves many purposes beyond just a a, a national or statutory purpose, but also even to be able to identify who is subscribing for a particular service or not. Uh, To be able to identify who should be billed for a service or who should access the service or who has a right to access any particular services based on their privacy or their ownership of that particular service. Um, So on that basis, Ghana has also done something similar. And over the last uh, six to uh, eight to 10 years or so, uh, there have been a couple of uh, initiatives uh, directed towards registering SIM cards to ensure that each SIM can be tied to a user. Uh, in Ghana, Or per the exercise that is being currently conducted, that is supposed to be able to prevent fraud or to prevent uh, people from masquerading as others and such that if fraud is perpetrated, uh, per- perpetrated using that particular SIM card, we can be able to track uh, we, we, we can't track who the person is behind it or at least it gives us a basis to know who is behind that particular fraudulent activity or whatever activity uh, it might be.
0: Well, Salom, so I mean, clearly it, it, it seems like, you know, they're stepping in the right direction because there, there were times I remember about two years ago when, you know, some of these Um, international bodies with all these research findings about, you know, the number of people with multiple mobile phone numbers and things like that. There have been so many stories about you know various people getting defrauded and not being able to track down people still have all these weird calls from fraudsters trying to you know um, um take money from them or defraud them one way or the other so clearly there is a need for this sim card registration to happen and for it to be connected to a national database of sorts so so that is fine but why why do we seem to have a challenge. I mean, because we have a National Identification Authority that has been mandated, obviously, with, you know, producing these Ghana cards, you would, you know, typically expect that if we already have an institution like the National Identification Authority that has been mandated with the the mandate of issuing these National Identification cards, and anybody who has been through that process knows that some level of biometric data was collected, you know, then it kind of presupposes that if we're going to have a SIM registration and it's supposed to be linked to the Ghana card, then it's, it's sort of like a straight arrow, like, you know, get your national ID card. The, the data is already there for your biometric data. And then, you know, registration with um, your mobile network should be pretty straightforward. The two connect and we have a happy marriage. Why do we seem to have a bit of a challenge at the moment?
1: well um it, it would have been very easy if it was it was um, just uh, maybe a one-step approach um, so for anybody who has um, who wants to understand the scale of IT operations let's just even begin to understand the human aspect of the operations uh, you are talking about first of all let's understand the basics you are talking about approximately uh, at this moment in time 42 million uh, subscribers. Registered or 42 million SIM cards registered in the country. Ghana's mobile penetration is 130%. And when I say 130%, it means that for every uh, one person, there are uh, there is the there there are uh, what do you call it? 1.3 SIM cards registered. Uh, So you have uh, a situation where there are more SIM cards registered than there are human beings. uh, uh in the country uh, this is because uh, most people uh, I'm, I'm sure including you and i uh have more than one uh, sim card registered to their name uh, sim cards i have three i have three
0: i'm just confessing yeah. now i have three
1: <laughs> and then uh apart from that sim cards are also used in things like uh, smart devices uh you you have them being used in modems for uh, data uh, internet. Uh, and and so SIM cards have become a basis for us to be able to access what we call um, uh, internet data. So in this, and then also there are many different categories of users. There are some users that are individuals, and there are some users that are uh, uh, corporations, or some users that are uh, uh, body corporates, or who are not physical human beings, but are Uh, entities recognized by law in one way or the other. Uh, Whichever way you want to look at it, you have 42 million SIMs to register. That is one. Two, you you now have to decide on what mode you are going to use to be able to register these SIM cards. But then already, note that because of previous laws that have been enacted, or previous... uh, uh, uh uh procedures uh it is mandatory that even before your sim becomes active there should be some kind of recognition of the registrant of the sim this has been done uh, using uh different uh, databases that already exist where a nationally recognized identity card is the basis for registration and uh, these nationally uh, identified recog- uh, nationally recognized identity cards already have biometric data linked with it. And uh, some of these uh, include the driver's license, include uh, the uh, voter's ID card, also include the Ghana card itself, which is the Ghanaian uh, ID, and also include the passports. So already we have a situation where an individual, any individual who has or operates a successfully registered SIM card has uh, in his possession uh, at least four different uh, points of reference which have already stored uh, biometric data for use. And uh, these uh, four references are four separate databases that incorporate biometric data from every Ghanaian. So what does that mean? Uh, That means that already even before uh, even before we, we uh, are even going to begin to think about re-registration, there are already uh, databases that exist with huge data sets which comprise a huge majority of these uh, 42 million uh, subscribers which already have uh, a biometric uh, data point linked to the, the, the subscriber. Um, in 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 running an exercise such as this, all these other points or data points are nationally recognised, and most of them are even internationally recognised. Uh, one, for example, is the passport. Everywhere you go in this world, they might not recognise the national ID, but they do recognise the passport as a basis of uh, of uh, identification of a, of a of a human being. And to be very honest with you. There is no reason, for example, why a passport should be disregarded as a point of uh, connection of uh, of, uh, of verification of identity of an individual. Uh, and uh, so it's, it beggars belief that we are limiting ourselves directly only to the Ghana card. That's one. Suffice to say, let's just say that because of certain unique reasons, we want to use only the Ghana card. Now, Even before handling a re-registration activity, um, you normally want to look at the data sets that exist and whether there's some kind of cross-compatibility or some kind of uh, cross-referencing ability that could be done. So once again, you have the passport, you have the national uh, ID data, you have the driver's license, you have the voter's ID data. One of the things that would have been the easiest things to do when comparing systems with such large data sets, especially when they carry sensitive personal information belonging to uh, belonging to uh, what do you call it, uh, of individuals uh, in a country, you could then have some form of cross verification of that data or uh, uh, what we would Possibly uh, call a comparison uh, of that data to determine whether uh, that data could uh, be merged, and those data sets could be merged. And it is not like it has not been done before; it has been done before. Um, currently, there's an ongoing exercise between SNIT and the uh, National ID, uh, v- uh, the National ID. Uh, the NIA, where the information from SNITs, people who are verifying uh, SNITs, uh, uh, what do you call it? The the SNIT cards are merging that data, and that has been ongoing for almost uh, six or eight months now, and has been even extended uh, very recently. Now, the issue is, if that has even been done, it means there's a precedent for integrating data. In this, uh, on this particular occasion, you have two sets of data sets, large data sets involving the same Ghanaians that is being verified across two different platforms, and it is very clear that uh, uh, it is very clear that in such a situation, such as this, we would have the chance to be uh, able to merge that data and create a preliminary data set even before uh, we, we, we push ahead with any kind of re-registration exercise. That would clean out the data and ensure that only those with defective data sets are the ones that will be uh, uh, recommended for some kind of clarification of their data or some kind of uh, re-orientation uh, or re-registration of such data. Uh, That that has not been uh, looked at or that was not considered, which uh, is very unfortunate. Beyond that, uh, we are also looking at the fact that um, in in running something of this scale, we have to look at the logistics uh, concerned. And when we look at the logistics here, we are talking about the fact that if we want to register a hefty 42 million uh, uh, subscribers, we also have to understand that we have to map the data. And mapping the data means that we have to look at the number of people that exist currently and the number of possible people, uh, uh, the, the number of subscribers, and the number of human beings that are connected to this. You have three sims, for instance. I have two sims. Other people have two sims. Instead of making it a, a registration for every single data set. What we could have done was to then say that, okay, if you have four SIM cards, you can register once and then register at one point, all the remaining uh, SIM cards that are in your possession. That would have probably shrunk the number of single registration activities from 42, to maybe 10, 42 million to maybe 10 million. However, In this instance, we are saying that we need to um, at all costs register each and every SIM card individually, which means we need to do 42 million individual registrations. Now, if you have a scenario like that, what it means is that you must have the logistics to be able to conduct such an exercise across the country. The question is, do we or do we not? First of all, it will require a hugely massive uh, data connectivity infrastructure to require uh, uh, many points of uh, reporting for example which are the points of reporting i'm talking about it means that you have to have um office uh uh what do you call it or physical locations that can register individually 42 million times now all across the country do we have 42? Uh, uh, do we have enough places that can register 42 million people? The easiest way to do that is to do simple mathematics. What is the simple mathematics here? If we have 42 million people and we have six months to finish this registration process, that meant that uh, if we took uh, the 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 number of uh, days in that uh, six month period, we would have about 180 days to conduct this exercise. In 180 days, can we do 42 million registrations? It's a simple math, 42 million divided by 180. It will give us 233,333. The issue is, do we have the capabilities to register 233,000 people every single day, in and out, nonstop? That will mean we'll need about at least maybe Fifty 000 centers active did we have fifty 000 centers to register people over this period if we didn't and uh, uh we were supposed to handle an exercise such as this then it meant that it would not be possible to do it within that time frame
0: so uh, then even setting that... setting those time frames will be will be a problem in in itself but Salom, if, if i may just ask i mean and you, you you can you can give us you know the other um um um, arguments in in just a bit but one of the main challenges that we realized or have realized over a period is when for example fraudulent activity happens especially using a mobile device you know it, it, it does get difficult to be able to trace for example you know where or who that individual is and that was i think for me one of the main reasons and justifications for which reason you know, um this sim registration process would be important because then all SIM cards would be linked to one individual to an individual. So in that sense you could understand why everyone will have to register their various sim cards separately. But then it it, 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 it also brings in that question how much preparation for example was done before the process was actually outlined because like like you were rightly pointing out, when you look at in terms of the number of people, let's just say that everybody was supposed to do one SIM card at a time. Considering the number of SIM cards that are available um, as we know it today, if everyone was supposed to choose, for example, one day to do registration, how long was it going to take? Do you find it a bit of a difficulty based on your research knowledge, based on experiences that you have had um, in other jurisdictions? Do you find it a bit of a challenge marrying the fact that there probably wasn't a either enough consultation or b enough like it wasn't thorough enough in terms of the preparation for the exercise based on not necessarily the number of persons who are in queues and everything but just the technology that is available that's 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 one of the things i just wanted to put to you so if i can just get your quick response on that i have a follow up Yeah i mean
1: so it's, it's i was i was driving towards that anyway so first of all, can you run this um, cons- consistently over the period? Can you can we have a system that runs two hundred and thirty three thousand people? That's one. Now, two. What will it require to run that? It will require some huge heft of data, like I said, to 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 take all these details. Because I understand that the application that was being used to register these people required them to take pictures uh, or uh, take some extra kind of data. Uh, more than just the text data. Even assuming that the text data is something around, let's say, 25 kilobytes. If you add even uh, two pictures from the two hands, that should averagely be about maybe um, anything between uh, 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 500 kilobytes to one megabyte. So if you are doing 233,000 a day, it means that you should have some system that can take at least 23 gigabytes of data uh, and run them every, uh, the whole day concurrently. Now, if you have such a thing uh, going on, the next crucial question will be uh, does the software system or the servers that are available have the capacity to handle and run all this data online uh, without fail? Now, um, according to the NIA's own, uh, uh, what do you call it, communication, they were estimating that every registration should take anything between uh, five to seven minutes to do. Now, uh, considering that the, the in actual practice, this took about 20 to 30 minutes, in some cases for one person then the question here is that did we have did we have enough assurance from those who provided the software that the software will be up and running at least 90 percent of the time in in situations like this where you have such mass activity the kind of software you use is what you call mission critical software mission critical softwares have certain uh, criteria that needs to be uh, established very clearly. What are these criteria? These criteria include being uh, having uh, close to 99.9% uh, uptime or in the worst case scenario at least 95% uptime uh, during the operational hours. It also must have easy and very quick support which means that whoever is uh, uh, handling technical support should be able to have very quick response times of anything between uh, one minute to about uh, 20 minutes of response. And then there should even be issue uh, rectification times where when an issue has been brought up, you should be able to have what we call an escalation matrix. An escalation matrix means that an issue should be solved either within the first, uh, depending on the severity of the issue, it should be solved either within the first minute, the first five minutes, the first 10 minutes, the first 20 minutes, the first 30 minutes, or the first hour. Now, did we have any established criteria for this acceleration matrix? And uh, was anything like that established or done? And was it part of the contractual agreement between the agencies involved and the, 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 the contractors or those who are supposed to run the software? in the absence of such things, then you would know almost immediately that uh, such a system or such a project that didn't have any of these was bound to fail. Because without any of these considerations, you cannot have a system running perfectly. It is just not going to be possible because there are so many variables involved in terms of live operations that a a textbook scenario would never ever establish correctly.
0: One of the other um points that i wanted to raise with you also was i mean we have a situation where um i'm guessing in the execution of this project you would typically have the um the telcos you know you would have your national communication authority you would have um, the national identification authority for obvious reasons you would have the data protection authority as well so you would have all these um technical um or these stakeholders in a conversation and at the end of the day in order for the technology to work it would also mean that the various partners in executing this project must have a system that can speak to each other. Um, do, do you get a sense technically that this was the case um, based on the evidence that we've seen and also w- what would it mean for these systems to also speak to each other and what would it What would it have translated into, in terms of the output?
1: So um, basically, um, there is a big um, watchword now in any uh, activity that involves open data and uh, open data communications called interoperability or data interoperability. And this involves, uh, because there are now so many systems that always need to refer to each other or run with each other, there is something called interoperability, which means that one data system must be able to speak to another data system. And for such things, for well, things like that to happen, it requires you being having to be, uh, being able to build systems that are versatile, because uh, this is not the age of um, the, the the days of uh, uh, server platforms that where that's, uh, I would say, just run by themselves or just run on their own. We are in the days where servers are actually built or databases are actually built and designed to be able to communicate with other different systems with uh, what we call APIs or uh, 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 I application, what's it? whatever, I mean, they are called APIs. And now what these APIs do is that they are able to intelligently exchange data. Uh, It doesn't matter whether the data is one type or the other, it is able to exchange that data between different systems. So that is the way, for example, uh, if you bought an iPhone and then you bought an Android phone, you could exchange your contact data between one uh, phone system and the other, although they run different operating systems. Or if you were accessing your, your email or you are accessing pictures on different devices. It is these APIs that are able to enable different systems talk to each other without having to manually or physically copy the data from one point to the other, like you would do if you were copying data from different textbooks or different uh, books. So this is how systems operate. Any modern system that's supposed to run online has to have uh, an ability to be able to exchange the data between one system and the other. and. These are standard, this has been standard practice for most data systems that have been built, especially for purposes like this, um, over the last, maybe 15 years or so. And so in this particular case, you would expect that a system that has been built uh, uh, by the, by the uh, a system that has been built by the NCA or under the auspices of the NCA or the Ministry of Communication, should have had that as a primary prerequisite and to the extent that that hasn't been done or that didn't happen uh, or in this particular case, we have a system that doesn't seem to be wanting to talk to any other system, for example, or it is not clear how that interaction will take place. It's even very problematic and, and speaks of very poor uh, project planning, very poor system analysis, very poor system design, very poor uh, system execution, and very poor consultation uh, between the all the people that's concerned.
0: I mean, that's that's completely understandable i mean if if you consider even the creation of mobile apps today um we we are moving towards a system where um it's it's it must be so compatible that different um um different users and different developers are able to just tap in and pull out the resource like you said i mean if the apis are there it's it's very easy for you to just tap into the resource and use it but then you know comes the question of this is national data so i mean there has to be some added level of security does that make any difference whatsoever in the argument
1: absolutely um look um we i mean if you if you look at this current world today there are so many very secure ultra secure systems that are able to talk to each other um which are these systems i mean there are many of them uh you have uh uh, for example, even at the airport, when you exchange your biometric data at the airport, these are very, very secure systems that are talking to each other. Banking information. You can even, uh, what do you call it, uh, have your information verified between one bank and another bank. Uh, this, some of these even are routed through international channels. Very secure information. Your 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 account details, your ATM details. These are things that run under very high level security, under what we, uh, what we uh, call Uh, what you call secure protocols, et cetera. Systems have been built like this the world over and these are very common or very commonplace today. Even with um, advanced computing technology now today, you can encrypt uh, data uh, at, at, at levels that maybe even 10 years ago was not even such feasible. So these are absolute no brainers in today's age. And if you had the right caliber of people building some of the uh, uh, applications that were supposed to handle systems like this, these things would not even be up for discussion today.
0: Now comes the other big question about the security of the information. Um, Are there questions or should there be questions raised about the security of the information? Who has access to the information that is being collected um, or the biodata of of Ghanaians? Typically, Ghanaians have been accused in recent times of not being very um, data protection conscious and things like that. So, I mean, when when you look at what has transpired over the last couple of months throughout this registration process, do you get the sense that I mean, from looking at it from a security standpoint, possibly or a cybersecurity standpoint, possibly do you get the sense that much attention has been paid to that side of the conversation?
1: unfortunately um, the domain of this particular aspect of it has been politicized unnecessarily and it has been made a matter of um, uh, a a battle amongst who wants to see that they are more political than others and these are some of the things that undermine uh, activities such as this that are very very important for uh, those of us who are uh, practitioners in the field where external considerations beyond what standards need to be applied become the norm or become the yardstick for determining the suitability of a project or otherwise. It's very, it's quite unfortunate that uh, y- you, you have voices that are raising these concerns, being measured by by virtue of uh, uh, or by perception of whether they support a particular party or a particular body of people in government or not. And it is unfortunate that instead of looking at the thing from a standards-based uh, uh, discussion, we are looking at it in terms of uh, patronage or loyalty to some particular cause or the other. And it is even more appalling that Ghanaians have not been very well educated on, on their uh, uh, responsibilities or uh, roles uh, as, as guardians of their own data. This is the 21st century where Uh, your data is possibly the most important resource that you own. Uh, In the age of uh, web, the web upcoming web 3.0, your personal identity probably is your most important digital asset since most of us are becoming the product instead of, uh, most of us are becoming the entities that are being monetized by the data uh, that we possess or the quality of data that is gathered on us. And so it becomes very, very, uh, crucial for us to 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 really have a second look at this disparately beyond any uh, prejudices we have and determine whether we are really uh, in, in control of our data. In the UK and in the US, for example, if you check any website these days, they have so many uh, disclaimers with relation to privacy. They tell you what they are using your personal data for. They tell you so many things about who even your data is going to. In this particular case, we have a very opaque system that is not telling us who our data is going to. In fact, the Ministry of Communication is even refusing to tell us in handling our third, uh, which uh, which the who the third party is that is handling our uh, personal data or the route or the trans route or the channels of communication by which this data is being routed through. You now have a system where you have unsecured, unsecured Android security. is not known. That's supposed to channel this information, keep some of our data offline. For transmission to some database that we do not have anything about, but can only rely on the... Assurance of a lawyer from from the National Communication Authority. We do really, really seems not to want to answer, and few people are willing to really ask the crucial questions or take the government to task uh, as to some of these. Uh, the,
0: the the understanding has has been given to some extent that um, this information is the information that is being collected. Um, on uh, throughout this process is something that um um Nita to some extent um, is 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 has a supervision over. Um, you know, then also there has been um conversations um to point into the fact that the information is end-to-end encrypted. What what it means is the devices that are collecting the data um basically encrypt the data, and then when it is forwarded onto to um, the place of storage, um, you know, then the decryption happens. I mean, like you said, what would really put a lot of people's mind to rest is if there is official communication, for example, about this, and if there is a certain level of explanation as to what this actually means for the people and what what difference would that make typically um, in if some of this bit of information was made available. Salam. So-
1: Um, It will make a lot of difference, but the point is, encryption, uh, when they say encryption, they say end-to-end encryption, those are cliched statements. You need to know, for example, what standards of encryption are being used, whether they conform to international standards, whether the point at which the data is collected. I mean, there are so many things, there have been so many systems where they have had which are uh, supposedly secure that have had massive data breaches. I mean, there are so many to document, uh, even from last year alone till now, uh, where you have had data dumps leaked um, or both on the uh, dark web and on the normal internet where the data sources were encrypted. Now, we are talking about different ways in which uh, attacks can be made on these systems. For example, first of all, what shows that these systems have been developed have been developed in such ways that there can't be things like man-in-the-middle attacks, for example. What shows that the devices are so secure that you cannot even hack those devices? What shows that even those who enter the data into those devices uh, are are using the best standards? What, What kind of training did they go through what kind of um, uh, orientation did they go through in handling that data? In handling the devices? In handling the security of those devices? Uh, those devices themselves are they, or have they been? Uh, 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 have they been protected such that nobody else can log into those devices? Has, they been, has there been any kind of confirmation uh, through certifications, through uh, ISO standards, and things like that that show that even the devices that are being used? Can or are capable of handling secure information twenty four seven. There's there are so many questions around these that people uh, have not asked, and that the the government could have easily volunteered to make sure that uh, people are assured of the right uh, uh, what do you call it procedures around uh, the data handling to be done. There are so far just the mere assurance, or there's the mere talk that the systems are encrypted, uh, do not mean anything. Uh, we have not seen any independent uh, reports, for example, of a test done onto the system to ensure that uh, nobody can come in and then just steal the information. And even more crucially, the companies that are handling this, have they been certified? If they have been certified, do we have copies of their certification? For example, um, there are very big companies that handled um, the biometric registration processes of the of the voters <laughs> registration exercise. These companies are known worldwide as authorities in this field. Even with the NIA margins uh, that handles uh, the national ID aspect, has a particular certification that. Uh, makes it the only uh, uh, what do you call it com- company in africa that handles that level of security as far as id cards are concerned so margins has done its part and we know and once you have things like that then the question that we are all asking is if if the other stakeholders even locally have tried to get these certifications why is it that we do not have such certifications, with the companies that are running this application on behalf of the Ministry of Communication.
0: I mean, clearly, what 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 this what this tells anyone who's doing the listening and paying attention to the details that you are enumerating is the fact that the, it's multi-layered, and because of the sort of society that we live in today, um, i.e., um, a very cyber and a very connected global. Um, um, economy and, 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 and world, it's it's clear that much more attention needs to be paid. It's not business as usual. And a lot of things can't be done on mere assurances alone with a certain degree of on um, of, of trust given to um, government to do things, you know, in, in the interest or to entities to, to do things in the interest of the state. There needs to be a certain level or layer of verification that is as independent as possible and that is easily verifiable from by different um, um groups of people and and clearly this registration process has also given us the indication that um the these things are multi-layered but then there there seems to be a need for a certain level of communication with the with the population and also you know a certain openness with regards who is doing what and who has access to what and and, and all of that. Well, Salam, as 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 we wrap up on on the conversation and thank you so much for um staying and and giving us this clarification. What what would you suggest would be the best way to to proceed or move forward with um with this particular registration exercise clearly there are quite a number of things happening within the digitalization um, umbrella in the country we've had a few in the past which have had a few questions about it and i'm guessing this registration exercise won't be the last but when you look ahead um some of the other projects that are still rolling out what what would you What would you advise, you know, um, or what advice would you prefer um, for for the institutions who are handling A, our our, our data, B, um, our biometric information, etc., etc.?
1: To be very honest with you, this whole exercise was not thoughtful. There was no need to have undergone this exercise. When uh, the NIA itself has not even fully issued all the complement of ID cards that it needs to issue for every uh, citizen in the country. That's one. So far as NIA have not reached a certain threshold of, let's say, uh, 80% coverage of Ghanaian citizens, living citizens, uh, having ID cards. This. Process should not have been done because in every IT project, there's something called dependencies. A crucial dependency, or there are two crucial dependencies here the the, the ability of a citizen to own a a national ID card, and then two, the ability of a citizen to, or a system that can verify that ID card. These two prerequisites, even right from the first uh, point, were not done. So to move any way and try and impose this uh, activity, was a non-starter. Secondly, the uh, outlets that were supposed to handle these registrations were not equipped to do so. Uh, And in light of that, uh, and to to railroad this thing into action, an app was highly developed. That app was developed without the necessary uh, security uh, considerations, without the necessary uh, considerations with regards to even best practices in the IT field. And it has performed abysmally up till now. Um, even that because even if we have to consider that it's performing well today, the NIA still has not been able to deliver on its mandate. and therefore, there was absolutely no need to uh, undergo this exercise. Thirdly, there are systems that talk to each other. We have created and duplicated a system that is one not secure, two not fit for purpose, three, doesn't have the ability to send the right you see the nia in its letter today that was leaked today dated the 13th of september indicated one thing the data that is even being collected is not even suitable to run a verification against the database of the nia to the extent that all these little purposes were not done this whole exercise a waste of time for everybody in the country and a cautionary tale for politicians who think that they can just get up and by word of mouth declare. Uh, a directive that has very far-reaching implications on every aspect of Ghana's digitalization agenda in the bid to score points. It is absolutely uncalled for and it is a cautionary tale for anybody who wants to develop any kind of IT solution or digitization solution for this country. And it is very clear that if people are not experts and do not want to consult experts uh, in, in deploying a solution that is supposed to affect the future of every single Ghanaian, they should not Uh, bother going into such an exercise without consulting the experts in the field, those who have done it at the regulator side, those who are running this at the telco side, and then even citizens of the country who also have some input to make because it is their property that is being used for such an exercise.
0: Salam, um, Brantir, thank you so much for uh, making time to join us on the show. Um, well, listeners, you heard the, um, my conversation with Salam um speaking um, generally about the technical side of the registration process, looking at issues from cybersecurity, looking at issues from data compatibility, and and among other things. I mean, obviously, it is a learning process, and um, we do hope that you understand probably a little more or a little better what exactly is going on. Um, obviously, the conversation is continuing um, in the light of the revelations from earlier today. Um, and the conversations will continue, but that is why the show is here. We will probe and we will try to get to the very bottom of it and understand technically or technology-wise um, what all of this means. I do hope that the conversation really did give you a few things to think about. Thank you, Salom, once again, for making time to join us. It was it was a really enlightening conversation. and now for a few updates Um, in the world of tech and Ghanaian fintech float has raised 17 million US dollars seed to power cash flow for commerce in Africa and this happened this week very very exciting stuff cash flow obviously is a major pain point for small businesses in Africa long payment cycles which can take 30 to 90 days after services or products have been rendered and a little or no capital of which research says about 85% of African and small and medium businesses are subject to are uh, the main corporates of cash flow issues, and so clearly um, when. A company, especially a Ghanaian startup, decides to tackle this problem. It is one that you need to pay close attention to. Now, the Ghanaian startup, Float, um, decided to tackle this one. The fintech, which provides credit lines for businesses, has raised 17 million dollars funding that it will be using to bolster its offerings and expand geographically. The seed round was a mix of 7 million dollars in terms of equity and 10 million in terms of debt now that is very very interesting um, news and kudos to the team over at float for pushing this one over the line one of the other companies that seems to be doing quite well on the african continent and which also is Ghanaian and was actually mentioned in a recent article on disrupt africa happens to be Jetstream now Jetstream is um is obviously a company um, that that's uh, our or a startup that was um um, put together by um, a group of Ghanians. Um, it gets the the last spot in this particular um, article. It was founded in 2018, and div- um, Jetstream basically has developed digital solutions for cargo owners and logistic providers at the continent's ports and borders with the aim of streamlining and accelerating growth in cross border commerce. Um, and um, it's interesting because, um, in conversations with them, they were supposed to be on the show sometime last year, but they were very, very busy expanding into Nigeria. So very, very exciting stuff for companies which are doing very well um, on the African stage and the global stage, which come right here from Ghana. In July, um, Jetstream um, announced an oversubscribed 3 million US dollar debt and equity seed round. And obviously, they are going to grow from strength to strength. And so that is where we draw the curtains down on the show today. I do hope it has been beneficial um, to you. Uh, I do hope you've learned a thing or two from the interactions. And we will be obviously trying to make sure that we bring you the very best and um, the best analysis of obviously with regards tech um, in Ghana and across the world. So next week, my name is bashon Stay techy.